Welcome to episode 98 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and it is a pleasure to be spending this time with you today. Whether this is your first or your 98th episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, or maybe even change your life. Last week, I attended a meetup in the Seattle area called Networking for Introverts. It was a small group. There were maybe about 10 of us who gathered, which seemed like the perfect size for real conversation. I was there as a guest, and I shared a bit from my new book and responded to some questions. One topic we lingered on was social media. It's a subject that comes up frequently with my clients in my coaching and strategy sessions, since many of those clients have a love-hate relationship with it. The main question that comes up is this, do I have to do it, at least when it comes to my business? There was a time when I used to say yes, automatically, without any hesitation. After all, if it's not on Facebook, does it really exist? Well, I've gotten more nuanced in my response to the do I have to question over the past year or so. As I talk about in my book, social media and time online can be as draining as any large networking event or team meeting. Logging into Facebook can feel like I'm walking into a large cocktail party with dozens of conversations already in progress. That's just one of the energetic drawbacks to consider. There's also the matter that the platforms can and do change without any real warning, and keeping track of updates and best practices can seem like a full-time job. With all of that said, I have two points for your consideration. First, when deciding where to focus your social media energy, think about where your current and prospective customers already hang out, as well as where you like to hang out the most. Which platform do you tend to enjoy? Because if you don't enjoy it, you won't be interested in hanging out there, which means you won't be showing up as your best self, and it won't be sustainable. So focus on the one or two platforms that sit at that intersection of where you like to be and where your clients like to be. It will be different for every business, so please don't get sucked into the idea that you have to be on Facebook or you have to be on Twitter or any other particular platform. Where you have to be is where it makes the most sense for you. Second, social media is an efficient way to offer content and foster connection. So if you decide to either limit or eliminate your presence on it, make sure you have a strong presence in other online places. This might be your blog, a podcast, your newsletter, guest posting, videos, or other online means of connecting. Our social media presence usually carries the bulk of the weight of us being found on search results online. So if that presence isn't there, or if it's weak, make sure you are strong on at least a few other content delivery platforms. Because unless you want to be the best kept secret in town, practically every business would do well to craft a strategic and intentional online identity, whether or not that includes social media. Sometimes we trip over establishing that identity because we're not always sure how to talk about what we do and how to communicate our core message. And that's where this episode's guest comes to our rescue. Tracy Benson is the founder and CEO of On the Same Page, a business consultancy that partners with the world's leading organizations to apply employee communication and engagement strategies, often during times of change. 
At the heart of the firm is a passion for supporting clients in solving complex business problems in the areas of assessment and strategy, execution and measurement, leadership training and coaching, and driving business outcomes. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am delighted to be talking with you today. Hello, Beth. It's great to speak with you as well. Well, what is making you smile today? Oh, so many things, Beth. I'll tell you, new beginnings. Uh, that's what's making me smile. I have one child who is uh, happily settled into college life as a freshman, another who's settled nicely into his first year of high school, and my team and I have been trying out lots of interesting new technologies lately, so it seems like we're all stretching our brains, which which always makes me smile. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I always think of this time of year, and, and this podcast will be later, but we're recording in September. I always think of it as the, the real new year. Um, it's like where new beginnings happen, um, even more so than sort of the contrived January 1st kind of thing. I completely agree with you. I have that same feeling. There's just an energy that mm -hmm. whether or not you have children that are going back to school, there's something about the back to school. We all did it at one time, right. and there's just such an energy around that. So yes, that's what's making me smile. Thank you. Yeah. Well, where do you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum? And how has that influenced you as an entrepreneur? Uh, well, I fall pretty far on the side of introvert. And when I first learned about that, based on a Myers-Briggs test I took years ago, um, I was very surprised by that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's before I really understood a lot about introversion. Uh, I am pretty outgoing, so that didn't seem to make sense to me. But the more I learned about it, the more I understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it totally resonates. It's a great question. How did it influence me as an entrepreneur? I actually feel like more so than it consciously guiding me, I, I can understand its influence more clearly looking back words in the rear view mirror, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I had a bit of a revelation. I'm going to answer your question in a second. It may seem like I'm rambling for a minute, but I'm going to, I swear I'm going to get there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all good. You can be patient with it's me. It's all good. <laughs> okay. So I had a really big revelation and that, and, and it all ties to what I'm doing now as an entrepreneur and being an introvert. Um, and that is that I, I learned that I can manage a lot of complex change and stress in the work that I do, as long as that level of stress doesn't exist in the place where I go home. And that includes the company that I go home to every day. So the backstory is, think about the work that my colleagues and I do in my company. It's a little bit like being a, a choreographer mm -hmm. uh, faced with a whole bunch of dancers who have never met each other and are of quite disparate talent and, and uh, experience. And our job is to figure out how to get them all to buy into the idea of playing their part in a bigger vision. That would be, you know, a, a dance, I guess. Um, two, to understand and accept that vision as their own. And three, then, to perform the steps, or in our case, to play the role that they need to drive change. So uh, about 13 years ago, I worked for a very big global consulting firm, and they wanted me to do this work for clients, which is awesome because that's what I love to do. And they also wanted me to do this work for the firm that I was working for. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized after trying it for a while that I, I just really couldn't do that. It was like 
getting up every morning to go to boot camp and then coming home every night to boot camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so instead, I ended up kind of by default building my own company. Uh, now, obviously, what we're doing now and what we've been doing in the last five, eight years is, is by no means by default. It's quite conscious and deliberate. Um, but it really, it really does respond to that need to kind of come home to a place that's serene, respectful, supportive, um, and like that, because that's really what our company is all about. That awareness, it sounds like you, you know, the awareness of what you need in terms of that balance has been really important in, in how you're shaping your company, probably intuitively as well as strategically. I think that's true. And it's an odd thing, but the more we talk about being introverted, the more I find people in the kind of work that we do telling us that they too are introverted, which makes Mm -hmm. for some very fun conversations, as you can imagine. Yeah, it's always fun for me when um, you get people together talking about their introversion or extroversion, and it's like the volume in the room and the amount of smiles and laughter and connection that happens. It's really heartwarming, and it's it's great to see people um, say, oh, you, you too? You know, me too. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, what I want to focus on for our conversation today is really about, you know, our messaging and and how we're communicating with people, because that's one of your your specialties, and um, particularly with business. So when it comes to communicating the heart of our message, in other words, like our reason for being um, for our business, where do we typically fall short and what can we do about that? Well, uh, thanks for asking that, Beth. It's a great question. There's it's so challenging for people really articulating what's at the heart of their business. Mainly, I find because businesses often are created as the result of a personal passion. So, for example, a love of baking might lead someone to, you know, create a, a business around baking, mm-hmm. or maybe a fascination with all things electrical engineering, or you know, somebody with deep financial acumen may go into the financial field in, in some sort of form or fashion. Kind of like it's when it's sort of like when the top salesperson gets promoted to the sales leader. Mm-hmm. So he or she was so good at their craft, but now they have to learn a whole new set of skills, right? Right. To get to the heart of the message, here are a couple of questions I would suggest asking. There are three questions. One is, what do your clients or customers get from you that they just can't get anywhere else, even from your competitors? Mm-hmm. Two, why is that important to them? And three, this may be counterintuitive, but three, what would the world lose if your company went out of business tomorrow? Wow. So I was thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, and applying it to a business that in some ways I can't necessarily relate to. But so I, I have an accountant. We have a CFO slash accountant who's absolutely amazing and kind of defies all the stereotypes around what you think of when you, you know, it's, it's, people think of somebody who's heads down, you know, <laughs> shy, right. really introverted. Yes, and to the extreme. <laughs> you know, maybe much better with numbers than words. Yes, yes, and people. But, <laughs> exactly. But this individual is really, really different. So I was thinking about applying this concept of getting to the heart of his business. And I thought, okay, if you owned an accounting firm, you could say that your company exists to prepare taxes. That's mm-hmm. probably what a lot of people say, right? Right. Or you could say that your company exists to allow your clients 
to focus confidently on running their businesses, knowing that all of their tax and accounting needs are being handled by experts who provide the necessary information to enable complex management decisions. Mm-hmm. Big difference. difference. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Big. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> and I think that's where a lot of people do fall short in, in communicating. They don't differentiate themselves or they don't speak in terms of the listeners, the customers, the clients' interests. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? That That's such a, um, that's sort of, I want, I want to say communication concept 101 or, mm-hmm. or maybe it's sort of like, you know, the, the first thing, if you're really studying and you want to become a better communicator, probably the first thing to master is taking your audience's point of view into consideration. So we all have stuff we want to say, but it is the most effective communicators who stop first to consider, where am I meeting my audience? They're not an empty vessel just waiting on the edge of their seat for everything that's coming out of my font of knowledge. They're actually... They're not? Darn. That's devastating, actually. I know. I wish they would be. I know. Wouldn't that be the, the dream? <laughs> so it's really... I'll tell you a funny story. So I was... This is years ago. I was pregnant with my child number two, and number my number one was like not quite four. And I was trying to explain to him how our world was going to be turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, they were to share a bedroom. So, you know, Uh-oh. there was, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I felt it was really, you know, I was doing my motherly duty, setting Adam's expectations about what was going to happen in his life. And I said, you know, when the baby comes, he might not really understand night and day at first. And he might want to stay up all night and play at night. And he may all only want to sleep during the day. And this kid is just looking up at me like he's just entranced and then he points to my belly and he says what's he sleeping on in there and and then he said and what's he got to play with in there and I thought oh wow he really doesn't care about being kept Mm -hmm. up at night he wants to know if little brother already has cooler toys than he does yeah there you go (laughs) at first I was thinking he just like deeply cared already you know was like I hope he's okay in there but you're pointing out that it was probably a little more selfish (laughs) exactly and I'll tell you I it's a funny thing but I think about that a lot when we do our work and when we when we're working with executives who have very very important things to convey about what's happening in their companies and about meeting client needs and and, and just really important messages. I often think about that conversation and remind myself and remind our clients and, you know, their teams that you really need to think about, we need to think about what's in their brains. What's, what are they confronting? You know, what are their issue, hot button issues? And, and let's make sure we account for that so that, the message that we want to convey is received, but it, because it can't be received if, if we're completely ignoring where they're coming from. Exactly. Meet people where they're at. That's and, right. Yeah. Well, you're leading beautifully into my next question around what are some of the basic elements of a communication strategy that are going to help us to influence others to join us or buy or, um, you know, come on to our cause or work with us? Um, and it sounds like one of those things is meeting them where they're at and being able to speak in their terms and whatnot. So can you say more about what else are essentials in terms of yes. that communication? 
Absolutely, Beth. I would add three things to the first that we talked about, which is understanding, uh, me- meeting them where they're at. We often think about that as listening. Listen right. first, talk second, right? Mm-hmm. Um, three additional elements beyond uh, meeting them where they are would be a vision. And that's uh, the big picture, the big compelling picture, the, you know, where are we going? The story is the next element. And that is, this is the reason people care. This is the point of connection. It may be how we're going to get there or why we're going to get there. Um, And last is a very clear call to action and some kind of a mechanism by which the audience can act. And so in our circles, we often refer to this as the no do, no slash do. And whenever we're creating communication, we always ask ourselves, what is it that we want people to know and what is it we want them to do? Mm -hmm. And I will say for me personally, sometimes that call to action is one of the most challenging parts because it's, at least I I think for introverts, I know for me, um, that's the part that's kind of affiliated with selling and, you know, pitching. And, you know, we can make up a lot of stories about what that is and how it's supposed to sound. So I really, I like that you're saying, you know, what do we want them to know and what do we want them to do? And that's kind of the last step in it. It's not the whole focal point, but it is critical. Beth, I I think you bring up a great point and I'd like to comment on that. The business of the call to action feeling a little bit like a sell. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. I, I have to tell you that I spent years working on getting over that. And w- here's kind of where I've netted out on it. Um, I think that when we issue a pitch or a call to action in whatever form that is not authentically packaged in the way that we operate, it does feel really artificial. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, I, I, this, I'm sort of thinking out loud a little bit, so forgive me for not being quite articulate about this point, but it's a, it's a really important one to explore, um, mm-hmm. especially for, for us introverts. So I think one of the common characteristics we share is um, a natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really a huge strength we have. And I've learned that people love to talk about themselves, right? Yes. Um, I'm really enjoying this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who says introverts can't talk? You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> so my suggestion when it comes to the call to action really is to kind of lean hard on the curiosity. So, you know, if you want to engage someone in a conversation, for example, about your product or your service or uh, whatever it may be, put something out there, you know, your vision and, and your compelling story, and then ask them what they think or how they have they ever encountered that before or what have I missed? What's been your experience in this regard? And this is not me selling. This is me being truly authentically curious because I want to learn more. And what ends up happening, which is icing on the cake, is we then end up in some kind of a dialogue and who knows what evolves from that. What it sounds like to me is that it's like we're issuing an invitation for them to be partners in that call to action in some way, whether they know it or not. We're co-creating with them. That was extremely articulate. Thank you. for. (laughs) You're welcome. It was beautifully said. <laughs> and I love that idea. That's that's awesome. Thank you so much for bringing that to the 
to the conversation because I think any reframe or any new perspective that we can have on that particular piece of our businesses, whether it lands or resonates with us or not, you know, can at least spur some other ideas and help us to say, you know, I do have a story about this and there might be another way of looking at it and let me think about that or let me, you know, explore what else might be possible. And so uh, I love it when those kinds of moments come up. Well, I do too. So thanks for allowing me to have that moment too. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on a moment, what you talked about with stories. I know that's sometimes another area that's kind of challenging because we are so close to our businesses. And as introverts, often we can tend to be rather private. And often the idea is that vulnerability and you know, telling your story, telling other stories is, is the way to connect. How can we find those stories? How can we identify them and start to integrate them into our messages? Oh, that's such a big part of our work right now because we recognize how important it is. I know there's a ton of data out there that talks about why, but I just I want to share one little data point with you because it cracks me up, actually. <laughs> and, and then we can talk a little bit about how to do it. Um, I just recently learned this. The average attention span in 2015 is 8.25 seconds. Now, two things. That's down from 12 seconds in just 2000. Wow. Okay, so 8.25. Got we, we have to have that in our head for a sec. Yeah. By the way, the average attention span of a goldfish <laughs> is nine. It's nine <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so the goldfish can pay attention to Facebook longer than I can. <laughs> And this is why stories are huge and so important, because the stories are what we remember. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of data around why that's so. And, you know, so we won't, you know, I won't I won't bore you with all that right now. That's that's very readily available if people want to do the research. But um, so where do you find them? That's a great, great question. Everybody has that question. I'll say there are four things that we need to make sure a story is in order to play the role we need it to play in our communication. Those four things are simple, 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 mm -hmm. personal, relatable, and inspirational. So I could say a lot about each one of those things, but let me just throw out some examples of how these stories are around us all the time. It's a little bit like breathing. We, we don't pay a lot of attention to it, but we do it. Mm -hmm. And Stories are happening in our lives constantly. We just don't, we're not trained to pay attention to them. So we really need to start to, but I'm going to give you three examples and then talk about how we find them. So one CEO we know told, recently told his employees a story of why he keeps an antique typewriter in his office, which he does. And that is to remind himself that every day presents the possibility of becoming obsolete. Wow. Nice. Okay. And simple, right? Yes. Very simple. And suddenly, you know, when his, he wrote this in a letter to all employees, huge global company, suddenly all 60,000 employees in that company could actually have a visual picture of something in his office mm -hmm. and what that thing makes him think about and how that thing actually drives one of their key strategic priorities. So that was really amazing. Um, an another CEO we know explained the concept of profit margins and the importance of product pricing, you know, two very exciting and sexy subjects, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On the edge of my seat. Right. There you go. But you will be. Yes. <laughs> well, what he did was he was in the middle of a town hall meeting, an all-employee meeting, and he literally, he was trying to illustrate what happens um, 
when we give up profit margin to our customers, he starts taking money out of his wallet and handing it to people in the audience. And then he says, so what just happened? You made all the profit, not me. So mm -hmm. simple. Yes. And uh, the last one, because this one I love, another CEO, this is how commonly we can find these things. Another CEO talked about the experience of standing in the checkout line at the grocery store and not even being acknowledged by the cashier and then use that as a way to talk about the emphasis he wanted people to have on customer focus. Right. Right. I mean, that's happened to all of us, right? Yes. Uh, yep. That as soon as you said that, I was remembering uh, one of the last times I visited my former doctor's office, <laughs> where, ah. <laughs> where I stood in front of the receptionist for a good like thirty seconds before she looked up, and then when she looked up, she didn't say anything. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow." Wow. Yeah, so they're that, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, so all you have to do is in, say you're working with a big, huge, huge group of employees or small group, doesn't matter. You tell that story and then you say, has this happened to you? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, how many of you has this happened to? And right. everyone's involved. Yeah. So one of the things I challenge my team to do actually is, you know, because these stories are everywhere, we have to train ourselves to see them. I actually challenge us to start creating a list and you can start like the challenge could start with one a week mm -hmm. and then suddenly you have an inventory of stories that you can pull out and adapt to whatever your circumstances may be. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I've learned about finding those stories is to, you know, in the moment when it's fresh, you know, to write it down and to notice what was the conflict what was getting in between what you and what you wanted? And then how did you resolve that conflict? Or what was the outcome? And how did you feel about it as another way to ground that story and make it into something that other people are probably going to identify with even more strongly? Absolutely. I agree completely. Well, I want to shift gears just as we wrap up here and talk about trust, because it seems like trust is another key element of good communication is that you're ultimately hoping to build trust. You know, it goes with that, know, like, and trust someone. Um, and you state in your online bio that I've, I've learned that building trust within our own team, with our clients, and in our personal relationships is one of the most important things we can do. In your experience, particularly maybe from an entrepreneurial perspective, how do we establish that transformational level of trust? Well, this is another place where I think we actually excel as introverts. Introverts tend to do more listening than talking. Yep. And that's really at the base of trust, I feel. It really does start with listening. So meaningful, active listening that involves being completely present to what people are saying, probing for deeper understanding, and mirroring for confirmation. If we practice this in a consistent way, this kind of listening sends a signal that we're truly interested in what others are thinking and creates an environment for open sharing. Assuming that the people in your environment share the same values, what that kind of communicating and sharing does is, it, first of all, it becomes the norm. And then there, what happens in my experience is there evolves a very uh, palpable sense of safety of being mm -hmm. able to be vulnerable and knowing that you won't be injured or abused as a result. Ironically, I think it's the ability to be vulnerable together that makes us stronger as a team. Yes. So it's, you should hear our calls. We candidly admit our mistakes, ask each other for help, 
commonly share the barriers we're struggling with and how we overcame them. Um, you know, raising our hands often, you know, for help with each other. And I really think that that's what a learning organization is. And at the bottom of it all is, is trust. I can't say that I've always known how to do that. Mm -hmm. A huge, huge piece of my having gotten there is surrounding myself with amazing people who, as I mentioned a second ago, share a very important set of values around that. Yeah, it seems so fundamental, whether you're a company of one or a company of, you know, a thousand to be that learning organization and to bring in people that share those values so that trust becomes just part of the fabric. And I agree with you. I, you know, I've, I've met so many introverts and I've had this experience myself where we're such good listeners, oftentimes just intuitively, that we'll meet somebody new and they'll start talking to us. And, you know, within 10 minutes, they've told us their life story. Exactly. And, and it's not just because they're maybe an extrovert and they're just talking, <laughs> but it's partly because I think introverts often convey or project this aura of safety. When you talk to me, I am actually listening. I am curious. And hopefully I'm not holding, you know, my own agenda. I'm not listening just to wait until you stop talking so I can talk. I think it's such a valuable and probably underappreciated skill that introverts yes. have. And I hope everyone listening, <laughs> whether they're an introvert or extrovert, can take that away from this, that never underestimate the power of truly listening to someone. Well, I have so enjoyed this conversation, Tracy. Thank you so much. And before I let you go, I have just a couple of closing questions. Of course. So being a fellow introvert, I think you'll appreciate this. And I'm sure you're a hardworking introvert. So you probably need a little vacation. <laughs> and I like to, uh, I wish I could do this for real, but I offer my guests a three week vacation on Introvert Island. And the only thing about this island is that you've only got room for three books in your suitcase. What would you take with you and why? Oh, shoot. Only three. <laughs> Only three. I know. <laughs> I know. It's really hard. That's really, I really had to think hard about this, Beth. <laughs> yeah. Remember, it's only three weeks. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, that's true. It is only three weeks. Okay. So I think number one, I would bring The Alchemist by mm -hmm. Paulo Coelho, mm -hmm. which I only just recently discovered and read based on the advice of two really close friends. I plan to reread this one regularly. Boy, does it speak to the soul of destiny and choice. I just loved I was so inspired by that book. Um Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl would be number two. That's yeah. a prof yeah, right. It's yes. just a profoundly moving account. Um, reminds us that we're not alone, even when we feel we're alone. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's a very important book. Um, and then I was going to say any book by Maya Angelou, mm -hmm. um, but I picked two. So I won't take them both. You, you could make me cho choose and I okay. would maybe close my eyes. And Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> exactly. It would either be, uh, wouldn't take nothing from my journey now, or I know why the caged bird sings. And I just mm. think her writing's just like a warm blanket for the soul. Mm. For those chilly nights on the island. Yes. <laughs> I love exactly. it. Oh, thank you for those. Thank you. And so, Tracy, what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your services through On the Same Page? Well, great. We'd love for folks to check out our website, which is onthesamepage.com with hyphens between those words. So it's on hyphen the hyphen same hyphen page.com. Mm -hmm. We have an uh, email address that is we can help at onthesamepage.com or certainly follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or all of those means. We'd love, love, love for people to do that and to enter the dialogue with us. 
fabulous. I think that uh, everything that people have heard today is, I hope, inspires them to check it out and see what resources you have and, and learn more. So thank you for your generous sharing, Tracy, and it's been great chatting with you. I've enjoyed every minute of it, Beth. Thank you so much. I could almost package certain podcasts with particular themes together as a series, because communicating your core message and telling your story is one that comes up time and time again. And what I love is that each guest has brought a unique perspective on the topic. In this episode, I appreciate that Tracy reminds us that building and sustaining trust is paramount. There's another word, integrity, that comes to mind for me. You live your core message and your story when you do what you say you're going to do. And there's almost nothing that inspires trust more than acting with integrity. If we're really honest, we have to admit that it's not always easy. We wish it were, but it's always worth striving for. As 2015 comes to a close, it's fitting that I'm prepping for my 100th episode to be posted right around Christmas. Between now and then, stay tuned for episode 99, which features my lively interview with David J.P. Fisher, author of Networking in the 21st Century, Why Your Network Sucks and What to Do About It. Before I sign off, I have a quick idea for you. If you're looking for a great holiday or year-end gift to yourself or for the introvert in your life, consider my book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms. One Amazon.com reviewer named Greg had this to say about the book. It's not only a hands-on and useful model to benefit introverts to use their natural strengths to be successful in business. It is a well-written book that is a joy to read. Thank you, Greg. I so appreciate that. And if that sounds good to you, then you'll find the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and really wherever fine books are sold, including your favorite independent bookshop. And if they don't have it in stock, they can certainly order it for you. So thank you for considering that. Special thanks to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and my assistant, Naja, for preparing the podcast show notes. I'm also exceedingly grateful to you for sharing this time with me. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Mm-hmm.